0: Anyways, our reading from this morning comes from Ecclesiastes. We're wrapping up our study in Ecclesiastes, and um, the, now I guess the writer, not the teacher, um, has a word for us. So um, our reading begins in verse 9 of chapter 12 and goes through verse 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and a much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You can be seated. Well, again, good morning, and welcome to all of you. Uh, my name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's great to to be with you. Uh, but I know I know what some of you are thinking, like like. But isn't that Paul? Like, isn't our new campus pastor? Isn't he finally finally here? And we have to listen to Nathan preach again? First of all, that's hurtful. Okay. Uh, I do my best, all right? Second, though, yes, that is Paul, uh, and it's on purpose. We want to kind of ease him in, let him kind of get acclimated, right, and uh, begin to, to l- let their family flourish and all that stuff here. Uh, so we're going to take it kind of slow, okay? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, it means you're still stuck with me for a while. I'm going to still be here uh, off and on uh, throughout the summer. I'll continue to preach occasionally uh, as well. Paul's first sermon uh, will be next week, uh, so he'll he'll do that, and then we'll kind of tag team it uh, over the coming months a little bit as well. Uh, we also know uh, many of you probably want to have Paul and his family over, get to know them. Uh, we love that, do that, send those invitations, make that happen. Uh, but I also want you to know we've we've said to Paul, hey, no more than once a week. Don't do that to your family at this point, okay? Uh, and so if if uh, it's slow to get that scheduled, blame me not him. We just want them to be able to establish good rhythms as a family this summer and get settled into their new home in Kansas City, all those kinds of things. But do, do send those invitations. I know they would love, love to do that. Uh, we're excited, aren't we? This is a big, this is a big deal, big change uh, for us here at the Shawnee campus. It's really exciting, uh, and so this this Friday, actually, uh, you've heard us mention this. We want to take a moment to really celebrate that and to reflect uh, as well. And so uh, this Friday, we wanna we want to look back because it's been hard. It's been really hard, like this past year. Uh, and so we're inviting all of our adults, if you're able, to to fast on Friday uh, during the day, um, and. Fasting is a, is a way of grieving. It's a way of looking back. It's a way of remembering um, and turning to God uh, in the midst of that. Uh, but then we want to break that fast together. And so we're going we're gonna to join uh, here at the church. Uh, 6 p.m. on Friday, we'll feast together, uh, potluck style, so bring something to, to share. We'll do that, and then we'll take time uh, together to pray and to sing. Uh, as, as a church family, looking, looking to God, expecting him for a, a beautiful, a beautiful future. I love, I love that that happens before Paul's first uh, sermon, his first official sermon here as the Shawnee campus pastor. Uh, so join us Friday. It'll be a lot of fun. But like I said, uh, for today, you're stuck with me. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll jump in. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Uh, and even, even though this study in Ecclesiastes these last several weeks has been heavy, Uh, and at times kind of dark. Uh, We're grateful for the ways in which you show us, even through the words of the teacher here, uh, how to live, how best to live. And I do pray that now as we uh, come to this conclusion, God, that you would speak to us once again. Uh, Show us more of who you are and who we are, who you've called and created us to be, and how our only hope is in your son, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the older I get, the more I realize that life is just like a mystery, right? Which is kind of strange, isn't it? Because the older you get, the more you grow and mature and learn, at least theoretically, right? That's supposed to happen along the way. Uh, And yet, the more I've learned, the more I've experienced, the more I just realize, like, life is like this basically unsolvable mystery, isn't it? So, So many things, that we don't fully understand, or, or you know, on the one hand, like there's something that we enjoy about mystery. We like we like that. I mean, how many, how many of you have already finished the latest installment of Stranger Things, right? Or caught up on on Kenobi, like, or, or authors like Stephen King. I mean, these, we we like mystery to some extent, uh, and and yet, uh, the more the more we age, the more we mature, the more we realize that man, life life is a mystery. Because yet, in the real world, it's fun to think about the, the fictional stuff, but like, shouldn't we have figured out all the mysteries by now? I mean, even, even just think about the, the latest uh, technology and studies around uh, brain science. You know, we've learned more about the brain in the last 20 years than the rest of human history combined, and yet with every new discovery, it opens up windows of, of new mystery, Right? And even, even the scientific discovery as a whole, like the, the more we seem, to, like problems that we seem to solve, right, it just leads to, to more mystery. I mean, sometimes, sometimes these mysteries can be good, right? Like last week, I was at the Omaha Zoo, and I saw this guy, this, that guy, that little, yeah, exactly. Why do you do that? Why do we say, oh, it's a mystery, right? I, in that moment, this is my first time, okay, he's 400 pounds. I saw him next to his 9,000-pound father, and I didn't even know I could feel those warm fuzzies anymore. I mean, it was just, it was truly, it was truly remarkable. It's a mystery, right? The, why, do, why do we feel certain things the way we do? And, of course, hard things are mysterious as well, like the way we're never satisfied ever. The way when you accomplish one goal, you just have to accomplish the next one. The way you you buy one thing, you have to have the next. Now I've got to top the the baby elephant experience, right? Or the way laundry is never done. Like the the chores, like never finish, right? The task list just goes on and on. Or, Or the way that grief sneaks up on you years later. Or trauma. The way we make one step forward with justice only to feel like we make one step backwards. Like, in this, this is what old man teacher Kohelet, right? is in the Hebrew, in the book of Ecclesiastes. what he's been telling us. Really, we spent the, these last seven weeks saying this over... Life is a mystery, basically, is what he's getting at. Life is a mystery. You're never going to figure it out. And if you think about it long enough, there are parts of it that are actually just quite terrifying, aren't there? Like, even, even in some of the final words here... Uh, It says, of of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Right, And all the students said, amen, right? But that's what he said, you solve one thing, you learn, you study, you grow, and you only open the door to yet another mystery. And today, we are at the end of our study in, in Ecclesiastes, some of you are like, thank God, it has been exhausting, right? But I was thinking this this past week about some of the the major takeaways of our time together. Now, before we do that, though, let me just say, so next week we'll be back in the Gospel of John, right where we left off. So if you've been around for a while, you know we were were there. We're going to go right back there for the rest of the summer. Uh, And actually, if you're doing the Formed Life, you can pick up the journal on your way out, the new one for that. Uh, Keep in mind with that, we are one week behind still, and so you want to follow the order of the journal uh, starting tomorrow, and not the emails. The emails are going to be one week ahead, so you, you can figure it out. It's not too complicated, uh, but grab those. But I've been, I've been thinking more about how do, how do we wrap up Ecclesiastes. And, and last week, I also, I also spent time uh, at my precious niece's wedding. Uh, she got married last Saturday. Uh, she and her, her husband are basically the same age that Kelly and I when we were when we got married, um, although I don't ever remember being that young, frankly. Uh, they, they're just, they're children, okay? And, and like weddings, like we've all been to weddings. Weddings are like the most idealistic day, aren't they? Like if you compare a wedding to a marriage, like they're, they're nothing alike, right? I mean, they're so ideal, idealistic. They're, they're the exact opposite of Ecclesiastes, right? And, and so I was sitting there at the reception. I began to like just imagine like, what if, what if Kohelet, like this character from Ecclesiastes, what if he was gonna do the toast at a wedding? Like, what would he say? Like, some drunk ump- uncle stumb- stumbling up to the stage, right? this unwanted guest. Like, who wants his advice on a day so idealistic? But here, here's what I think he would say. Here, here are my three big takeaways of our study so far. I think he'd say something like, to the bride and groom and the mystery of life, everything is disappointing. You have zero control, and then you die. Right? So bottoms up, cheers, congratulations. Like that to me, that's like the summary of Ecclesiastes, the mystery of life. Everything is disappointing. You have zero control and then you die, which is a terrifying message, isn't it? I mean, why have you come back all these Sundays, right? Ecclesiastes, if that's, if that's it, Ecclesiastes is kind of a scary book, Life under the sun. Remember, that's, that's the phrase the teacher talks about, uh, the world essentially without God, if there is no God. If that's all there is, all we have left is fear and despair. But that's not where Ecclesiastes ends. For there is a God over the sun. And so what, is he, what does he tell us to do? His final, his final summary of all that's been said is: fear God and keep His commandments. Really, like that's that's the solution. Fear God and keep His commandments. If you haven't already, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter twelve. And this, this is really, this is the good news of Ecclesiastes. Believe it or not. Okay, it's fear God. Which, like, I know it sounds a little bit ridiculous, because, like, in what context is fear ever, ever a good thing? But hang with me, because I think this is, in many ways, the key to unlocking some of the mystery. And there are three things fearing God does for us as we understand the message of this book. Three things in particular. First of all, fearing God frees us from fear. Which I know sounds like a crazy contradiction, right? Sounds ridiculous, but hang with me for a moment, fearing God is actually what frees us from fear. Because that that mystery, right, the sense that you have zero control and then you die, right, that that sort of haunting feeling that we all get about life, like that's terrifying. But the only way not to be enslaved by that fear is to fear God instead. And so he he says in verse, verse 13, again, this is like the final climax, right? We're going to kind of work our way backwards in these, these words, but Verse 13, start there. He says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then he kind of drops the mic and walks off, right? Because that that actually sounds even scarier, doesn't it? God sees everything, he says, will judge everything, even the secret thing. So expose all of it. I mean, of course, that's scary right who wants who wants that and yet if we fear god if we fear him rightly what, what does that what does that even mean cuz again fear so often we consider it as just purely a bad thing right but what is what does it mean when he says fear god let me give an example maybe it's a silly example but it's it's one of the, the best i could come up with personally um, it's one i often think about when i think about fearing god is is hiking, because I love, you guys know, I, lo- I love hiking, I love nature, I love being outdoors, and I often think about one of the, the favorite hikes we ever went on as a family. Uh, you could ask my wife, ask our kids, like, it's, it is right up there. Uh, it was also, this one in particular, was the scariest, like bar none, the scariest hike we've ever been on. It's like, it's it's ridiculous. So it's Angel's Landing uh, in Zion National Park. Uh, Outside Magazine actually called it one of the 20 most dangerous hikes in the world. And I did this with my kids like a couple years ago. So they're even younger than they are now. Right? It's ridiculous, right? Like all the signs like leading up to it said like uh, not recommended for children. There they are. You can see how small they are. Like every sign was like, do not do this hike. And I was like, what do they know, right? They've they don't know how good we are, right? And I have this 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 high confidence, about the whole hike and all the planning. And I'd seen pictures, I'd done studies, I'd read read about it, all of this. And I was like, "It's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine, Kelly. It's gonna be fine, right?" Kept saying this. Kids, it's gonna be fine. And then we get we get to this this last part, this last section. I'm like, I've I've lost my mind. Um, in fact, like here here's here's a picture of the trail. This is that's that's the path. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not kidding. Here's another another angle uh, uh, of it. Uh, yeah, that's that's what you do. You go up that way. There, there's a chain that you can hold on so you can like try to not die, right? And we see this together as a family. It's like, are we are we really are we doing this right? It was terrifying, right? There's a thousand foot drop on one side, 800 feet on the other. All while you ascend the last 500 feet while you're already exhausted. And I did that with my kids, right? Some of you are like, you are not, you are not a sane person. I know. I get it. But listen, like, listen. Like, so it was terrifying, truly terrifying. Like holding onto the chain with one hand, holding on to the kids with, with another. Like it was terrifying. It was also one of the one of the most enjoyable experiences we've ever had as a family. I mean, it was it was absolutely exhilarating. It was unbelievably beautiful. Like the, sort of the, the adrenaline of of all of it. I mean, it was absolutely awe-inspiring. We would we would do it again in a heartbeat. was such a bonding thing together for our family and this this is a bit of what I think about I know it's ridiculous but that's a bit of what I think about when when I think about the fear of God that's what that's what God is like in many ways it's respecting that the fact that God is not safe but he's good and that that if you approach him flippantly you could fall off the cliff and die but if you approach him as the God of the universe the ultimate judge the one who made you you will experience more delight than you ever even knew was possible because it wasn't it wasn't like we were afraid that the cliffs were out to get us right but we knew that if we didn't respect the cliffs or, or respect the laws of gravity right that'd be on us it wouldn't turn out well but if we had an appropriate fear there would also be so much joy in fact one of my one of my favorite recent books is by british author michael reeves oh you got to read this book it's so good it's on the fear of god uh, but the title says it all. It's, it's called "Rejoice and Tremble," because that's that's his definition of what it means to fear God. You re, you tremble because you you owe God everything, right? But you rejoice because He is everything, and there's such there's such satisfaction when we come to Him rightly. And, and Reeves, he makes, he makes a compelling case that the reason we're so afraid today, and is, I mean, would anybody argue that? Like, we're terrified of everything all the time, right? Culturally. In fact, in fact, he writes, and therein is an extraordinary paradox for we live more safely than ever before. More safety than almost any other society in history. Safety has become the holy grail of our culture. And like the holy grail, it is something we never quite reach. Protected like never before, we are skittish and panicky like never before. And the reason we're so afraid, he writes, is because we no longer fear God. For if you don't fear God, then you will be afraid of everything else, right? Because the world is a scary place. The mystery of it, the zero control, and then you die. But if you fear God rightly, then you have nothing else left to fear. Again, again, quoting Reeves here, he says, I want you to rejoice in this strange paradox the gospel both frees us from fear and gives us fear. It frees us from our crippling fears, giving us instead a most delightful, happy, and wonderful fear. And one more, one more quote. I, just, I, I do love this book. You've got to read this book. He says, for the nature of the living God means that the fear which pleases him is not a groveling, shrinking fear. Sometimes we, we think it's got to be like that. It's not, that's not it. No. He's no tyrant. It is an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent good and true God is and that therefore leans on him in staggering praise and faith. Fearing God simply means living as if he's real, Right? that God actually exists and that he's, he's watching and he has expectations for the ways in which we should live, which is scary. Like, you can't deny it. That's scary. But if you're with him, like, what a relief. He's watching. He's real. He will He will hold the world accountable. And even though I have no control, he has all control. And even though so much of life is just a mystery to me, he understands all of it. He knows every detail. Again, you can, you can fear God, rejoice and tremble, or you can fear everything else. But if you fear him rightly, you have nothing else left to fear. Fearing God frees us from fear. That's, that's the first thing. And who doesn't want that? Oh man, we're so afraid. We crave to be set free, don't we? That's the first thing. Second, Fearing God also frees us from despair. Fearing God frees us from despair. Has anybody else felt just maybe a tiny a tiny bit of despair as we've studied Ecclesiastes together? Maybe just a little bit, right? I mean just even think back to what we've said. Like so so week one, life is smoke. Uh, week two, pleasure is always diminishing. Week three, work is just handed over uh, to somebody else once you finally get good at it, right? Uh, week four, money will be, never be enough. Week five, justice is always out of reach. Week six, youth continually fades and then you die, right? And then, of course, week seven, fear God. Again, I'm amazed you kept coming back, right? But what what is the author, what has he been trying to do? Go back, go back to verse 11. Again, we're going to kind of work, work our way backwards here. Go back to verse 11. Because this is still part of the author's conclusion, part of his, his summary. He says, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Well, good grief, what does that mean? Well, again, the author is reflecting on these words of the teacher. He says they're like goads, okay, from the shepherd. Scholar Ellen Davis explains, she writes, the goad carried by a shepherd is sharp and prodding, uncomfortable for sheep reluctant to move forward onto new ground. So basically it's like a stick that a a shepherd would use to prod his animals forward. When they they got stuck, when they didn't want to go anymore, when they just kind of, you know, were comfortable where they were, poke, 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 poke. Who likes to be prodded, prodded with a stick? Anybody? No, of course not. But that's, that's what you say saying. Ecclesiastes is that stick. And it's meant to hurt. It's meant to make us uncomfortable. It's meant to push us forward in places we don't want to go. And yet it's ultimately the shepherd who's doing it. It's, and it's this shepherd that gives us purpose, this, this shepherd. When we're tempted to despair, when we don't know which way we should go, when we're, we're left feeling with those, those endless longings that nothing can seem to satisfy, it's, it's his prodding that keeps us moving forward when we feel lost or stuck, when we feel like giving up. And he gives us these, these warnings right throughout all of this study together of where not to put our hope. He says over and over again, don't, don't build your life on those dead ends. That is despair. And he's prodding us back to where we should go. And he's also given us gentle proddings to enjoy the little things in life, right? To, to hold things loosely, to accept. I mean, this is, this is a huge part of Ecclesia. Just like accept the mystery. Instead of constantly kicking against it, accept that life is a mystery. Like, you don't have to have it figured out. Be okay with that. Enjoy the simple pleasures. Eat, drink, and be merry, he said. Enjoy enjoy your relationships. Make the most of your time. And the discomfort the shepherd gives us, the prodding with the goad, like see it as a gift. Thank you for the goad, God. And so yes, we fear him. But that actually frees us from despair because he goads us towards true meaning, which is what we want. It's what we crave, isn't it? Okay, so fearing God frees us from fear, and it frees us from despair. But it also, and this is this is the third thing, it frees us for joy. Fearing God frees us for joy. So in his final summary of Ecclesiastes here, all of it building to this command to to fear God and keep his commandments. I think maybe the strangest thing he says is in verse verse 9 and 10. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. I, kinda, I love that there, because like, the preacher sought to find words of delight. I mean, I guess he tried. I don't know. Didn't feel very delightful as we were going through him, did it? It's like calling, calling Ecclesiastes words of delight is like calling The Shining a feel-good novel, right? That's great for families. Like, no, it's not. And yet when we come to terms with the fact that, yes, life is a mystery, you have, and you have zero control, and if you put your hope in foolish things, you will always end up disappointed. And then, yes, you die. But if you remember to fear your God anyway, to rejoice and tremble, right, that, that kind of tension, then we do end up trading our fears for faith, our despair for hope. And even though life is sometimes still going to feel like Hevel, right, it's still going to feel like smoke at times, you don't have to have it all figured out because we trust the one who does. And again, that's that's where, that's where this, this book has been building. Like, yes, it is smoke and we cannot see through it, but there is one who can. And when we trust in him, when we fear him, when we obey him, when we put our hope in him, even though even though the mystery doesn't go away, there's joy that accompanies it. Because if, if if old man teacher had reason for such joy here in this book, like you and I you and I have more. For we, we know our shepherd's name and it is Jesus. Because Jesus entered into the smoke. I mean, this is, this is the beauty of our story, people. Like, we don't have a God who just, who looks from afar, like we have to fear from a distance. He entered into the smoke, the hevel of our lives and our world from, from over the sun to, to under the sun. And he knows what it feels like. That means our God actually knows. He knows what it feels like to have those, those longings unfulfilled, right? He knows what it feels like to, to experience disappointment, to know the fears that we carry, to know what it's like to continually grasp after joy and not be able to receive it. He knows it because he lived it. One of my favorite names for Jesus in the Bible is Man of Sorrows. We forget that, but he knows what it's like to carry what we carry, even to the point of dying on a cross, suffering what we deserve for the ways that we trivialize God and run from him, the ways we don't fear him rightly. But he came through the smoke. For our shepherd lives and his goad is good, and he has given us his spirit so that we can actually live the kind of life he declares for us. We can come before God with rejoicing and trembling. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from Chronicles of Narnia. If you're familiar with, with this series, so it's the fantasy series, like kids' books, you know, with with talking animals and dwarves and a lion named Aslan who, who represents our, our good shepherd. Uh, the stories were written by follower of Jesus. And so Aslan is that kind of person, and he's, he's a lion, so he's not safe, right? That's part of the, the first book. He, you better be afraid, right? You better be scared of a lion, but he's good, right? One of my absolute favorite scenes in the entire series, and I want to end this with this, is from the book The Horse and His Boy. So Shasta is the boy, Quinn is the horse, and they don't, they don't really know who Aslan is uh, throughout the story. They just know that a lion's been chasing them and it's been terrifying, right? You can imagine, right? It'd be horrifying, right? Understandably, they're afraid, but this lion keeps chasing and chasing and chasing. And finally, finally, they're confronted by the lion. And so Shasta, understandably, says, who are you? Like, tell me who you are. And, and the lion responds like this. He says, who are you? Myself, said the voice, very deep and low, so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and happy. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. And Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him. But a new and different sort of trembling came over him. Yet he felt glad, too. No one ever saw anything more terrible or beautiful. And then in, in the climax of the story, Huen the horse also meets the lion. Again, you just imagine like a horse meeting a lion, right? And not thinking that he's lunch in that moment, right? Um, but I love, I love. Listen, listen to these words. Then Huen, though shaking all over, gave a strange little neigh and trotted across to the lion. Please, she said, "You're so beautiful. You may eat me if you like." I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. Friends, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. That's what it, that's what it means to fear God and to, and to do it with joy. It's to say, God, I would rather be devoured by you than fed by anyone else. I'd, ra- I'd rather be prodded along by your goads as uncomfortable as they make me, then run over and over to the things that I think are going to make me happy and do it again and again and again that always leave me longing for more. Fearing God like this, this is the greatest pathway to joy. So church, rejoice and tremble. Let's pray. Father I do pray that we would have um, that you would you would give me that you would give each of us the faith of this fictional horse. <laughs> it's so silly. But to say to you I w- I would rather I would rather you take anything from me than receive anything from anyone else. That we we could have such delight in you such trust in you such faith in you that we would always come with open hands with deep, deep rejoicing, but also with trembling, knowing that you are the God of the universe. Father, I pray that that is what would give us meaning and purpose. Instead of the things that we run to, the things that the the teacher so aptly warned us about over and over and over again throughout Ecclesiastes, let us run to you, rejoicing and trembling. And may we find joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've rescued us, that we can be freed from fear and from despair. Give us joy now, we pray, as we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.